face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were all they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God, Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when these beasts give glory and honor, and thanks to him that sit on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him to sit on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crown before the throne saying Thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created pray with me Heavenly Father I ask you for the leadership of the Holy Spirit I ask you for his wisdom of understanding and, Lord, to just encourage us in the days ahead of us, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I was reading these verses, and the first thing I want us to look at is, who are these elders? What do they represent? Now, first thing, we know they're not angels, because angels do not wear crowns nor sit on thrones. They can only be the representative of all the redeemed of mankind. Only redeemed men are promised thrones and crowns. Turn back to Matthew chapter 19 now. I want to just take my time if I can tonight and read some scriptures that that, uh, go with these verses. But in Matthew chapter 19, look at verse 28 with me. Verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four, look at verse eight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, not to me only, but all of them also that love his appearing. Now, we see the crowns and the, and the thrones here, so we know they're not angels, they're men, so they're saved people. Notice, number one, they're seated on thrones, not ordinary seats. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 If you go back there and read when you get a chance, you'll see that this is Daniel's foreview of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, number two, the thrones that Daniel saw were unoccupied. These thrones were that Daniel saw await the outcome of the judgment seat of Christ, ready for those who should be found worthy to occupy them. Number three, the thrones that John saw were occupied by crowned elders. Now these elders are those who pass the fiery test of the judgment of rewards which receive their crowns now. In 2 Corinthians, please turn back there with me. I'm going to show you a couple of verses. In 2 Corinthians, and uh, first of all, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look with me in verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that as done, whether it be good or bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's back up a little bit. In 1 Corinthians now, chapter 3. And I'm going to begin to read in verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For other foundations can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hair, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Now, we know then that these are crowns, and they're given to save people that serve the Lord. If you'll notice now uh, how anybody can read these verses, I just read out of 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 17, he's not talking about souls here. He's not talking about you can lose your soul. Your soul don't get tried. Once you get saved by the grace of God, you can't lose your soul, but you can use lose rewards. And your work is going to be tried, not your soul. And after your work has been done, and it's going to be every, every Christian's work is going to be tried on this merit. What have you done for Christ? That's what it's all about. And a lot of people serve in a church for their own glory, not for the glory of the Lord. And they're going to lose that reward that they could have had. And that's what that's talking about. Now, uh, there are five crowns the redeemed the Lord can have, the Bible tells us. Number one is the incorruptible crown in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25 through 27. Then in Revelation 2, verse 10, there's a crown of life. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, 7, uh, 2, verse 2 through 4, there's a crown of glory. Then 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, there's a crown of righteousness. And then there's a crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 20. So, any Christian that wants to serve the Lord, and, and I've said this many times, I serve the Lord, number one, because He loved me and saved me. Amen? I think that's the first reason that anybody serves the Lord. But that ain't the only reason to serve the Lord. And God made it. He wants to reward you. And He asks you to serve Him, and He will reward you for serving Him. And you can have those crowns. Now, what are you going to do with them? Now, and we'll find out as we go through the book of Revelation that uh, when we get to heaven, we're rewarded with these crowns. But we don't wear those crowns. We lay them at Jesus' feet. He's the only one that's going to wear the crown in heaven. Amen? Now, go back to Revelation chapter 4 with me. Revelation chapter 4, and I want you to look again with me in verse 4. Verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, what these three elders were dressed in is very important. They were dressed in white robes. 
Although they sit upon thrones and wear crowns, they're not dressed in royal robes, but white robes. Now this white raiment is the dress garments of a priest. Turn back now to 1 Peter a minute, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, look with me in verse 9 and verse 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dear the blood, I beseech you as strangers and pure, abstain from flesh and lust, and so on. Now, and he goes on down, and he talks in verse 12 about by your good works and, and so on. Now, what I want to show you is, under the dispensation of grace, all believers, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, are royal priesthood. Now, these elders, which represents the redeemed of all mankind, are given the priestly duties here as John saw it. Now, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And look with me in verse 2 and verse 3. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know you not that you shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Now, notice then, the Bible makes it very plain that God makes us royal priests of God and we are to judge one of these days. In First Chronicles 24, verse 1-19, through 19, David distributed the priests into courses. And there were 24 heads of the priestly families, and these 24 heads David made representatives of the whole priesthood. Now these elders represent both the New and the Old Testament saints in or saved people. The Old Testament saints are represented by the 12 tribes of Israel. The New Testament saints are represented by the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This make up 24 representatives of the redeemed of God. And that's made clear if you turn over to Revelation now, chapter 21. <coughs> Revelation chapter 21, and look with me in verse 10. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone with most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and the gate twelve angels. Names were written there on which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, on these three gates, and so on. Now, according to these verses, then, uh, these elders represent both the New and the Old Testament, and they were made twenty-four representatives of all the redeemed of God, saved people. Now, next we come to chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. So just back up there with me for just a second. And let's read just a little bit. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within 
and on the backside seal with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proceeding, proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? And to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven or on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seals thereof. Now, we know who the line of the tribe of Judah is. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's the only one that's found worthy. Now, the seven-sealed book or scroll, now understanding the who is to able to open the little book is the key to understanding the rest of the book of Revelation. Now, the book, a book of books back those days were rolled up scrolls. Sealed with seven seals. It's like you take a just a something you're writing on, and as you write, you get to a certain end of a subject, and you roll it up and you seal it with a seal, and then you start writing the next subject on the same sheet going on down. You write it up, and it had seven of those rolled into one roll, and then when you unroll, you break each seal as you go and read what's behind the seal. Now. When you understand that, the little book here is one of those scrolls and it's sealed containing redemption terms for the earth. Number one. Now, turn to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. I'll begin to read verse 18. First Peter chapter 1 verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with a crop of things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received a tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in his last days uh, for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and give gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfighted love of the brethren, <clears throat> see that you love one another with a pure heart, fervent, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In first John chapter three, verse one and two, Jesus will redeem the body of men at the rapture. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, Jesus redeems the souls of men at Calvary. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 23, Jesus will redeem the earth and all creation during the time of the removal of the seven seals from the little book uh, or scroll. Now, to understand the seven seal book, you have to go back to the Old Testament. There are three laws concerning redemption, when concerning Israel and their dealings with God. The first law is the law of redemption concerning a wife. Now, if the husband died, leaving no children, the husband's brother was to take his widow so his name would not die, 
but he must first be able to support the brothers with it. Now, if he were not uh, financially able to care for the widow, he had no right to take her. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus, with his own blood, redeemed the bride, the church. He was able. He was the only one who could redeem men. And so that's the first type. The law of redemption concerning the wife is what Jesus did for the church. And remember who the church is now. That's the bride of Christ. Amen? So the bride of Christ, there was one that could redeem the church, the bride of Christ, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The second one, the law, the law of redemption concerned the slave. Now, if a man lost all he had and could not pay his bills, his creditors could take him as a slave. Adam lost all when he sinned, and when he did, we all became slaves to sin by nature, the children of wrath, the Bible says. Now, under the law, when the man had served six years, now stay with me a minute. When a man had served six years as a slave, he was automatically set free. In Genesis, God worked six days creating all things, and on the seventh day, God rested from his labor. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, One day is a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is one day. Now, there has almost been 6,000 years of human history right now, which by God's timetable adds up to six days. Now, it must be about time then for the rest, a day of peace with God. Revelation 20, verse 6. Man has been a slave to sin and the devil for all these 6,000 years. So before long, the son of Adam, according to the flesh, that's you and I, will go free because the second Adam, Jesus, paid the ransom note with his own blood. Now you think about all that a minute. Let it soak in a minute. If you understand these laws of redemption that's taught in the Bible, then you begin to understand how Jesus uh, saved our soul. The third law of redemption concerns the land. Leviticus 25, verses 23-25, The land shall not be so far ever. Now get this. If you had a piece of land, and you were the ch- a, a children of Israel, or a child of the Israelites, and you owned a piece of land, you could not sell that land forever. It belonged to you. Now think about this. The land could be redeemed, though, if something happened and you had to sell it or get rid of it, it could be redeemed back. The owner himself could pay the redemptive price, but how could he ever pay the debt? He was a slave because of his debt. And because he was a slave, he could never earn enough to pay the debt. When God cursed Adam, he also cursed all creation. Man tried to cover his guilt by his own making of fig leaves for his coverings. But everything was cursed, so everything he had uh, to be brought back, even the earth, had to be brought back. Now, a near kinsman could redeem the land and pay the debt while the original owner was in slavery. There had to be two scrolls, though, of purchase prepared on these two scrolls the terms of the purchase. One scroll was to be left in the temple 
and open for all to read if they desired to. In other words, here's a deed, so to speak, a scroll, and the conditions of the scroll of that land was rolled up and kept in the temple, and you could, anybody could go there and look at it if they wanted to. Now, secondly, the other scroll was rolled up and sealed with seven seals placed in the temple, and only to be brought out when the kinsman redeemer gave proof that he was able and willing to redeem the land lost by his kinsman. Now, when the kinsman read the scroll of demand of payment and was able to meet them, then the priest brought out the sealed scroll, read the demands, and the kinsman, having uh, not the payment of debt, the land reverted to the owner, and he was no longer a slave because his debt was paid by a new kinsman. And that's a perfect picture. Let me show you something in Revelation chapter 5. Let's begin to read in verse 9. Remember now, all the book of Revelation is types and figures. That's what he's talking about. Now, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And when these beasts give glory and honor... No, I'm sorry. And, and they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and open the seals thereof, and thou wast slain, and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kinman and tongue and people and nation, and made us under our God kings and priests, and shall reign on the earth. Do you see the picture here? Here we are. We, when Adam sinned, he sold us into sin, every human being. How are we going to pay ourselves out of sin? How are we going to earn our way out of sin when we're in uh, slavery? You can't do it. Somebody has to come along, our near kinsman has to come along and say, wait a minute, I'll pay his bill, I'll take care of him. And he had to make two bargains of scrolls to do it. Now Jesus came along, he said, I'll pay your debt. Every human being has ever been. Jesus came and said, I'll take care of his debt. Wait a minute, they had to be conditioned on that. Number one, he had to be willing to do it. Number two, he had to be able to do it. Now, you find that, I believe it's in the book of Ruth. Uh, is, is that who, which one is it? it had to kin, somebody help me. It's Ruth, I'm pretty sure. And uh, you find that whole story given there of how, how it works. Now, number one, there's a lot of people say, I would love to help you, but I can't. And they don't have the whereabouts to do it. Now, Jesus is able, number one, to save any soul. Not only that, but He wants to. Amen? And so he, he met both, Jesus met both conditions to save sinful men out of their sins that's required by the kinsman redeemer according here. Now, notice something. And we get in chapter 5. Two of these redemptives have been fulfilled. The wife has been redeemed. That's the church. Jesus has come in this world, paid the price for the church. The slave has been redeemed, all believing bodies. But in God's eyes, this has already been done. Now one day, body, soul, and spirit of every child of God is going to be in heaven. Amen? But here's a beautiful story. In the eyes of Almighty God, we're already in heaven. We're already redeemed. Amen? We're saved by God's grace. We're already there. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. 
and go back now to Revelation chapter 4 and look at verse 1. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard as it were of a trumpet talking to me which said come up hither and I will show thee things which shall be hereafter. Now that's the rapture. And so as far as God's concerned we've already been raptured. We're in heaven. Now verse 8 of chapter 5. And when he had taken the book the four beasts and four twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Now notice here, Jesus was able to open the little book because He is our Lord and because He is our kinsman, Redeemer. Now notice these last verses of chapter 5, just before we begin to open the scroll in a little book, we're going to start in chapter 6. Verse 8 says, The odors are the prayers of saints. Tears and prayers of saints of God will be revealed one day when Jesus comes. By the way, the Bible tells us that, that God bottles up our tears. He keeps them in a bottle for us. That's all saved. And He keeps records in the book of God. Psalms 56, verse 8. Thou tellest my wonders, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in the book? So the scroll, my tears, is in the book. And I wonder how many tears and prayers each of us will meet in heaven one day. You think about that. Every time you pray for somebody to get saved, every time you pray for somebody to get well, and God would heal them, and God take care of them, God keeps a record of it. And we get to thinking somebody, uh, nobody cares, nobody knows what's going on. Yes, they do. God's keeping records. Verse 9, they sung a new song. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, if the devil has any beauty thing, he stole it. And that's the truth. Now you think about that. The basic principle of music are of God. I believe this. And that's why I love music in the church so much. And if I miss anything, being a small church, it's the big choir and and big organ and big piano playing and and quartet singing and group singing. And I remember that when I got saved. I think music is so important. And you know why? It reaches down to our heart and our emotions. It gets us ready for the gospel to be preached. It gets our hearts tender. And and that's what music is for. And and we think about all these hippie music and all this rock and roll and all kinds of crazy music. And Dr. Bob Jones said, if the devil has anything beautiful, he stole it. Music came from God. I don't understand. My brother is Church of Christ. They don't believe in church music. Having any church any, any music in the church. I mean, they sing a cappella, and uh, you know, without any instruments. And they say no stringed instrument, no playing any kind of music in the church. Well, I got news for you. David played a harp, amen. And uh, God talks about music a lot in the, in the Bible. Music is very important. And so I want to cover that beginning in verse nine next week, if I can, or Sunday in Sunday school. Pray with us, please. Heavenly Father, go with us on our way home. 
keep us tonight. Bless the, this book to our hearts.